0: Good morning. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and begin with prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity to study. Lord, our heart uh, longs to see you. We, we want to see a message light in the world that you will come soon. We pray that you will prepare us and enable us to, to do the work you'd have us do. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson number four in our quarterly worship, and the title this week is Rejoicing Before the Lord, the Sanctuary and Worship. And in Sabbath's lesson, let me read the first and second paragraph to you. It says, Russian writer Leo Tolstoy wrote about a friend who, nearing death, explained his own loss of faith. The man said that from his childhood he had prayed his own act of private devotion and worship before going to sleep. One day, after a hunting trip with his brother, they were getting ready for bed in the same room and he knelt down to pray. His brother looked at him and said, you still doing that? From that moment on, the man never prayed again, never worshiped again, never exercised any faith. The words you still doing that, revealed just how empty and meaningless this ritual had been to him all these years, and thus he stopped. The story illustrates the danger of mere ritual. Worship needs to come from the heart, from the soul, from a true relationship with God. That is why this week we will look at the ancient Israelite sanctuary service, the center of Israelite worship, and derive what lessons we can from it and how we can have a deeper worship experience. First question that came from my mind uh, as as I read that, is this the only, or even the greatest, most significant danger of ritualistic worship that one will leave religion and a belief in God? Do you see any other dangers, maybe even more significant dangers than just leaving a belief in God? Yes. That you'll make the ritual your god. That you'll make the ritual your god, which will then lead to yes. Uh, what kind of consequences might that lead to?
1: Own picture of God.
0: Wrong picture of God, which leads to, I mean, think historically. Have there been, in history, people who got caught up in ritualistic religion? And what, how do they behave toward others? They
2: could become rebellious.
0: What happens if somebody doesn't practice your rituals? Yeah, isn't that what happens with ritualistic religion often? You people who don't practice your rituals that must be subjected to them or coerced or pressured. So rather than leaving a belief in God and becoming a tolerant agnostic, how about becoming an intolerant re- religious person who will force your beliefs on other people? That seems to be worse to me. What do you think?
3: 9-11 was a response to us desecrating their religion.
0: Yeah, so, so, so they put forth. Yeah. Um, and how about can, which is worse to reject the idea of God or to adhere to a ritualistic system in which one loses the ability to think, reason, and make informed choices without someone else telling you what to think? Which is worse? And then what example is that to the world around you? Yeah, or or uh, let me ask this way. Which is most, most likely to undermine development of character? Which is most likely to undermine development of character and godliness? The rejection of a ritualistic God or the worship of a ritualistic God? Which is more likely to damage the mind and undermine the character? Worship. The worship of a ritualistic God. So when they say that this guy rejected this ritualistic process... That doesn't necessarily mean to me he moved away from God. He might have moved closer to God. He might have opened his mind up and actually started to think. What's our class called? Come, let us reason together. He might have actually started looking for evidences. Thoughts, yes.
2: Why do we have a
4: ritualistic God? What, what makes us, drives us to form a ritual? I think we need to look at that because without looking at that, we don't really we can we can criticize ritual and we can criticize the whatever side, but if you don't understand why that takes place, we are in no better condition or situation to make
2: any difference or improvement.
0: And I think we're going to try to explore and uncover that as we go through at least one element of why rituals came. But you asked two questions. One is why do we have a ritualistic god? Do we in reality have a ritualistic God? The true God? Uh, no. No. I don't think we do. But many people do worship a ritualistic God. So where does that ritualistic God originate? And this ritual. Yeah, and so why, and their question, why do people need to have a ritualistic God? That's a very, very important and legitimate question. Let's see if we can explore that as we go along. Yes?
1: Yeah, I think it's because God meets us where we are and met people where they were. And if you've been slaves for 400 years, then are you going to just have a reasoning class like this with them? Are you going to meet them where they'll, you'll get their attention? He has to get their attention.
0: Oh, so, so because of the condition of the people, their mindset was such that it became, uh, at some point in history, helpful to them to have rituals? I think so. Okay, let's look at that too as we go through. Um, let's turn, and, and by the way, there's a couple of nice quotes I put in the notes. I'm not going to read those quotes because there's so much in each day of the week. This week I'm trying to get... I'm going to try to get through all the days of the week this week, <laughs> okay? <laughs> all right, so I'm not going to read those those two quotes. They're in the notes for those who might want to look at them. Sunday's lesson, it asks us to read Exodus 25, 1 through 9. We're, we're not going to read that. You can look in your scripture if you want to see it, but basically it says that uh, they're instructed to bring freewill offerings for the construction of the tabernacle is what's being, what's being described in this, in this process, Exodus 25, 1 through 9. So the question, what was the purpose of the sanctuary? Learning tool. A learning tool. I like that. The lesson in Sunday's lesson says, quote, Build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. That's the lesson is suggesting that its purpose was so that God could dwell among his people. Yes.
3: But also the
1: sanctuary
3: was an illustration of God's plan for saving his creation, his people.
0: No question about it. And we're going to explore some more, pull, pull some of those elements out as we go. Uh, I, I liked very much what you guys are saying. Let's, let's, let's explore a moment this idea of that I may dwell among them. Let's explore that for a moment. Why was the sanctuary needed for that purpose?
2: They were used to having gods they could see, and God was invisible to them, and I think it was hard for them to... Believe in an invisible God.
0: Did did God need a building?
2: No. Okay. No, but they did. Why? So God, if they
4: if they could see God when He spoke to them, they it would kill them. So he, but he at that time was speaking to them literally uh, to lead them. He was speaking to Moses and all the others.
0: So, what might this building help them with?
1: It, it seems to me that. What God does is He illustrates and He demonstrates over and over and over again, and the sanctuary seemed to be a demonstration of something, an illustration of something, and He says, uh, make, "Make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them." And over and over again in Scripture, it talks about us being the sanctuary. So He's, he's I mean, He's pretty much coming out and saying, "You're the sanctuary. I want to dwell with you." It um, seems pretty clear to me, but we kind of get lost in, in, in some of the, the rituals, and we forget that.
0: So what prevents him from dwelling amongst his people? What's the obstacle in the way from him dwelling amongst his people? Sin people's hearts. Sin I heard over here, hardness of people's hearts over here. If we were to build a tent today with all the specifications listed in Scripture, would God dwell in the tent?
2: You know, and what do, in the
0: church. do you know there are plans in Jerusalem to build not a tent but another temple according to biblical specifications right now they're already already done they've already they've already laid out the materials and collected the gold and all the stuff necessary for its building um, with the expectation that God will come dwell there was god's was it God's original plan that he would call the people of Israel out of Egypt and have them build a tent for him to dwell in. It was his
5: original plan to have this in a, uh, a garden.
0: After, okay, after sin. After sin was his plan with Abraham's descendants when he called Abraham uh, that that uh, they would call them out of Egypt and build a tent. It
5: wasn't supposed to be just a short trip and they were going to make it to Canaan.
0: And yes. To Forty years wasn't supposed to happen, but the stop at Sinai was. Yes.
3: It seems like we are both visual and experiential people. And if we don't have visual and experiences that are uplifting, we choose visual and experiential things that lead us a different direction. Okay. And so he is providing what we needed at the time.
0: Well, listen to this. This I like what you're saying. Exactly. He's providing what we needed at the time. So the question is, why did they need it? But listen out of Patriarch, uh, Patriarch's Proverbs, page 364. It says, If man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, preserved by Noah and observed by Abraham, there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, they would never have been seduced into idolatry, nor would it have been necessary for them to suffer a long bondage in Egypt. They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved upon the tablets of stone." And had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need of the additional directions given to Moses. What were those additional directions? The entire sanctuary service and all its ceremonies. Yeah. So it sounds to me, God, as you, several of you have said, He is starting... And the people aren't responding. He gives more, the people aren't responding. He gives more, the people aren't responding. He's just stepping down, stepping down, stepping down, lower and lower and lower to try to reach the people at some level where they will engage the process. In Exodus chapter 20, five verses before our instructions on building the sanctuary, the people say, after God thunders a sign, that the people request something. What was their request?
2: Don't let God speak directly
0: to us. This is it. Moses, don't let God talk to us. Yeah. Let God talk to you and then you talk to us. And what's that telling? Now, remember, the sanctuary, God wants to dwell with his people. How was God talking to Moses at this time? Face to face. face to face as a man speaks to a friend. So God's intention is to talk to his people face. How did he talk to Abraham hundreds of years before? Face to face. Face to face. Okay, God wants to talk to his people. The people say, "We really don't want to talk to you, God. You scare us. Now why were they scared? Uh, if you read the text, read, go back home this afternoon and read Exodus 20. They're terrified, they're afraid. Moses is standing there, experiencing the same thing. There's no reason to be afraid, Moses says. Okay, Moses is not afraid. They're afraid. Why are they afraid?: They don't
2: see no God. Right.
0: This is the key. Life eternal is that they might no. know you, the only true God. Uh, we wage war against everything that sets itself up against the no. knowledge of God. Sa- Satan lies primarily about God because he knows if we hold to those lies, we're afraid of God. and We'll do like the children of Israel. God, we don't want to talk to you. We need somebody to protect us from you. This is the whole distortion. It's been that way.
2: Think the God their characters.
0: Yeah. They knew pagan gods, and they saw God through the lens of a pagan deity. I love that. That's exactly right. Do we have that problem today? Yes. In Christianity? Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes. We don't have time to go into that, though. Boy, don't derail me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice temptation, Kathy. <laughs> God wanted to dwell with his creatures, but they were afraid to dwell with him. Yeah. So he instructed them to build a sanctuary. Now for what purpose? To move them into the process of moving themselves toward him. See, they're going to have to be active. They're going to have to bring stuff. They're going to have to build. They're going to have to give from their heart. They are now moving themselves towards God. So the sanctuary building becomes a process to bring them into the process of of moving themselves towards God. Because they were afraid of him. Yeah. So what about today? What does God want in relationship to us today? Communion. Does he want to talk to us? Yes. So what is it that prevents our ability, our unity with God today? What stands in the way of that?
1: Everything.
0: Everything. <laughs> Everything. Uh, money, power, drugs, politics. misperceptions, Misperceptions, distortions about God, Mm rituals, religion.
1: Mm -hmm. I was walking for an hour this morning and praying for an hour, and he was just as close to me there as he is here.
0: Sure. He wants to walk with us in the Adam and Eve, the cool of the day, right?
1: That is prayer. Yeah. That's what prayer is.
0: Yes. So back to the sanctuary then. Let's go back to the sanctuary. Is the Old Testament sanctuary, temple, a reality or an illustration of something larger and more significant? Pretty straightforward. What did it represent? Somebody already said unity with um, the the, the believer, the spirit temple. It represents that. Anything else?
2: Everything represented Christ.
0: Christ. Of course it represents Christ. Uh, Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. It represents Christ. Of course. What else? How about the church? It
2: represents the process God has in mind for us to go from outside where we are to having it in the innermost part of ourselves.
0: From being estranged from God to being at one with God. The the whole unification, bringing all things under one head, even Jesus Christ. So the universal reconciliation of all intelligent beings back into harmony and oneness with God represented in the sanctuary. And of course, the church. The church is represented. Know ye not that ye, and this is a plural you, you all, know ye not, you all are a temple? Of God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you as well as an individual you that you are a temple so this the sanctuary has layers of significance so what was Moses actually shown on the mountain? was he shown the sanctuary in heaven? no he was not if you read the scripture and you can pull it out and look at it he was shown a pattern of the sanctuary in heaven now when I hold this picture up. Anybody recognize what this is? No. (laughs) It is a pattern, a depiction. This is a two-dimensional representation. This is not DNA. Anybody believe this is DNA? (laughs) This is not DNA. You cannot come up here and touch DNA. That's not it. This is a representation, a pattern of DNA. Now, if we take, this is a two-dimensional pattern, two dimensions, if we take this two-dimensional pattern of DNA, and we go out and buy three-dimensional beads and rods, and we construct a three-dimensional structure built exactly on this pattern, do we now have DNA? No. Do we even have an exact representation of DNA? Do we have anything that even approximates what DNA is in substance, in function, in form? No. All we have is an illustration teaching us some basic points about DNA. Now, would you want your doctor to make decisions based on a concrete application of this pattern? Yes or no? No. No. This would be foolish. This is just—it's an object lesson. It's a—it's an illustration. Try to get our minds around the concepts, but this is not how we should can think of DNA in a concrete way.
4: But it's a pattern of something that is really there. It
0: is a pattern of something that's really there, but—but. But the reality is so much different from this. Rods and beads.
4: Yeah, but if he was to make the temple after the pattern of heaven.
0: <clears throat> Remember what it is. It's just like this. If I, I wish I'd have brought some rods and beads and held up here, but you guys' imagination can get what this would look like if I had some rods and beads. Okay, How close to DNA would those rods and beads be? How close? Understand that the sanctuary built on earth is like those rods and beads. It's not close to the reality of what heaven is. Yeah. And we make this huge, huge, huge mistake when we take the sanctuary that is the pattern, the pattern, and translate that as just a miniature of the reality of heaven. Huge mistake, yes. And We're going to explore why that is in a moment. Yes.
5: understand what the reality is in heaven, and that is the relationship between God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the angels. It isn't a building that they have that relationship in. And it's what they feel towards each other, how they relate to each other, and how God wants to relate to us.
0: See, when, I, I, I agree with you completely. When we take it concretely, it's just a miniature, it's a smaller version. If we just blow it up bigger and make it out of better stuff, it's, it's 100% pure gold, not the kind of you know, messed up gold that we get on earth. It's, really, really, it's the gold that you can see through like the streets of gold in, the, in heaven. It's really good gold in heaven. If we make it out of inanimate material, an inanimate object, blow it up really, really big, then we have Jesus in a room in heaven. Mm. For for, for 2,000 years, he's been in one room, kind of isolated there, with a lot of smoke and incense kind of blowing up. And a whole bunch of books. And, the, yeah. <laughs> and a whole bunch of books. Do we have a problem? Is somebody getting uncomfortable with this? Or are you understanding that this is to represent something? I'm not, this, this is a very holy topic, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm trying to disabuse us of a way of thinking that, that darkens our mind to the reality that God wants us to embrace. Mm. So uh, let's see if we can't push this on further. Um, here's what one of the founders of our church said about the pattern, about this illustration, about this 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 symbolic object lesson that was built in Jerusalem since the of Ages 161. In the cleansing of the temple, Jesus was announcing his mission as Messiah and entering upon his work. And we talk a lot in our denomination about cleansing of the sanctuary, don't we? Cleansing of the temple. He's announcing that, that, that temple, erected for the abode of the divine presence, was designed to be an object lesson for Israel and the world. What's an object lesson? A teaching tool. Okay, a teaching tool. From eternal ages, it was God's purpose that every created being, from the bright and holy seraph to man, should be a temple for the indwelling of the creator. Because of sin, humanity ceased to be the temple for God. Dark and defiled by evil, the heart of man no longer revealed the glory of the divine one. But by the incarnation of the Son of God, the purpose of heaven is fulfilled. The purpose of heaven fulfilled by Christ's incarnation. Why? God dwells in humanity what's his purpose for the creation of man in eden god dwells in humanity and through saving grace the heart of man becomes again his temple does that building in jerusalem really look like you like your brain like your heart any more than this really looks like dna it's an illustration God designed that the temple at Jerusalem should be a continual witness to the high destiny open to every soul. But the Jews had not understood the significance of the building they regarded with such pride. They did not yield themselves as holy temples for the divine spirit. The courts of the temple at Jerusalem, filled with the tumult of unholy traffic, represent all too truly the temple of the heart, defiled by the presence of sensual passion and unholy thoughts. In cleansing the temple from the world's buyers and sellers, Jesus announced his mission to cleanse the hearts from the defilement of sin. Think this through. We have a heavenly high priest. We teach that he is a, we have a heavenly sanctuary message. He's the heavenly high priest working in the heavenly temple. What's he working to achieve? To cleanse his people. He's working to cleanse your heart, my heart, our souls, to regenerate, to renew, to recreate us. He's working in the heavenly temple the temple that was not built with human hands. Who, who built Adam and Eve? Wasn't built with human hands. And then she quotes out of Malachi, a passage that is referring or describing the exact same events as Daniel 8.14. Daniel 8.14, days, the sanctuary be cleansed. And she says in another place that, that, that Malachi 3 describes the exact event as Daniel 8.14. And she quotes it. What does Daniel, What does Malachi 3 say? Yes, he shall be as a like a fuller's soap and a launderer's a soap and a refiner's fire. He shall purify the sons of Levi or the Levites. Who are the Levites? Yes. The priests of hood of believers and make them white. So the, the 23 days in sanctuary will be cleansed is cleansing the believers, the priests of God. Know ye not that you are a priesthood of believers? Hmm. All right, Monday's, Monday's lesson. Oh, by the way, if we fail to understand the reality behind the illustration if we if we only stay stuck in illustrations and we don't understand the reality do we misunderstand the mission yes. do we under, understand what god is trying to achieve and we instead create these other things built on an illustration and that's what we've done folks it's a reality christ achieved something in real real life in real human flesh when he was here and that achievement is to be applied in real human flesh, you and me, is to be applied in our hearts and minds. We are to be changed, renewed, regenerated, not by our works, but by the grace of God through what Christ has achieved for us. Mondays, willing hearts. Why were, why were the gifts to build the sanctuary only to be from those who had a willing heart? Why?
3: Anything else would excite rebellion. What else? Freedom of
0: choice. Freedom of choice. What is the illustration? This is an illustration, yes.
3: Isn't another centered love. I mean it's it's the it's the working out of appreciation of what God has done in our life and what we want to give back to Him, just as He gives to us, is the way I see it.
0: And what is the sanctuary illustrating? It's an illustration of what? What's the temple? What's the real temple? Yeah, we we together are the temple. Can can the temple be built from Unvoluntary participants? No, No. in God's free, loving universe, only voluntary, sentient beings who surrender themselves to Him can be part of His temple. That's why it says in in Psalms 23. It's a great psalm. The the Psalm 23 is about a transforming, converting process. I love it, and and it's that whole experience of coming from a world of sin. Coming to trust God who leads us in still waters and green pastures, who leads us in the path of righteousness, things this path for his name's sake, who's going to restore our soul. And after we understand him, we understand he's going to restore us, he's going to lead us in a path that is righteous. Then where do we end up? The valley of the shadow of death. That we will fear no evil because his rod is with us. Notice this is not the valley of death. This is the valley that feels. It's the shadow of death. It feels like we're going to die. This is that point of conversion. This is that point where we come to that place where we are broken and fall on the rock, Jesus Christ, and are broken. This is that place where the sinful propensities in our heart, the things that we've attached our identity and individuality to are to be removed, and it feels like we're being ripped apart inside. We are dying to self. This is that valley the valley of the shadow of death. But what happens is we come to Christ, we recognize his goodness, we recognize his greatness, we recognize he's going to lead us in the righteous path, and then he takes us, as he's leading us in this path of righteousness, difficulties start happening, we start becoming emotionally uncomfortable, and we turn back. We turn away. Because it's going to hurt. Because it's emotionally painful to die to self. And, we, and some people will cycle like, a, like a, a roller coaster up and down, up and down in this relationship. And they keep praying, Lord, change me. And he keeps leading them back to this place. And it becomes uncomfortable and they turn away. And we go through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil. He prepares a table before us. A table of what? A table of spiritual nurturance. He anoints our head with the Holy Spirit. Anoints our head with oil. And then it, as it finishes, we will dwell Where? In the house of the Lord Lord forever. Don't you know you're a spiritual house built into the Lord? Or in Revelation chapter 3 it says that those who are saved will be a pillar in the temple of God. Never will they leave it. You mean I'm going to be trapped in a building in heaven for all eternity? No. We are building blocks. We We are living stones, as Peter says, built into the house of the Lord. And this is what God is trying to do, to hone, shape, transform us so that we can be brought back into the fellowship and unity of heavenly beings. It's really exciting. So it has to be willing. It can't be done any other way. Um, So what does God want to accomplish when we surrender ourselves to him? When we come to him, we realize he trusts us, we surrender our hearts to him, isn't he wanting to cleanse our hearts and minds, to renew us in righteousness, to create Christ-like character within us. Isn't that his goal for us? So let me read you a couple quotes. This is out of uh, the Gospel Herald, March 1, 1901. Christ was to suffer in our behalf, standing at the head of the humanity as representative of the race. He was to work out the character. Oh, and by the way, question. Can God, by divine edict, speaking like he spoke in Genesis, let there be light, let the earth uh, land come forth let the you know as he created can he create character that way no
2: no
1: David's freedom of choice
0: recognize that folks God cannot by the use of his power create character and so we read Christ that represented the divine race he was to work out the character which every follower of his is to work out through the provision he has made his infinite sacrifice, life and death on earth. A spotless this is out of uh, Fundamentals of Christian Education, 87. A spotless character is as precious as the gold of Ophir. Without pure, unsullied virtue, none can ever rise to attain honorable eminence. But noble aspirations and the love of righteousness are not inherited. It's not genetic. We don't inherit a righteous character. Character cannot be bought. It must be formed by stern efforts to resist temptation. And then, ages 762, The law requires righteousness. A righteous life, a perfect character. This man has not to give. He cannot meet the claims of God's holy law. But Christ, coming to earth as man, lived a holy life and developed a perfect character. These he offers as a free gift to all who will receive them. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. Now, we'll write my law in your hearts and minds. We get a new heart and right spirit. We get the mind of Christ. This is a gift achieved for us by Christ. So, question. Is a Christ-like character necessary for salvation? Yes. Must we, in other words, receive the mind of Christ, have the heart renewed, have the law written in the heart and mind, must we experience the, the working of Christ in the heart to regenerate us in His, in his image? Yes.
2: Even if we
0: don't know that's what's
2: wooing us. Never heard of Christ, so, native yeah, somewhere. Yeah.
0: That's right. If Christ-like character is a requirement for salvation, and you heard Christ-like character cannot be bought, why do we say Christ died to purchase our salvation?
1: They illustrate God's heart.
0: You ever heard that? Yes. But we can't buy it. Can it can, oh, could Christ buy it? What does it mean and what does it not mean? Does it mean that it cost God and Christ dearly for Christ to become human, and in His human brain overcome Satan and developed a perfect human character? Does it mean that that it cost them dearly for Christ to surrender His personal sacrifices of suffering, humiliation, subordination, diminishment of being, loss of divine abilities that He surrendered? It was this suffering on Christ's behalf, on, on, on our behalf, by Christ? Does it mean that God's government has a sin payment department and Christ shed his blood and so in heaven a blood fine can be paid, collected, recorded, and applied to the legal account of the sinner? No. It doesn't mean that at all. How often is that what's presented? Jesus said the blood is to be applied where? John chapter 6. In the Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. The blood is symbolic, again, another symbol of the life is in the blood. We ingest the life of Christ. We become partakers of the divine nature, Peter says. Yes?
5: I, I just want to emphasize that when you said there's a perfect character necessary for salvation, that is not an arbitrary imposition of God. That is just reality. That is the only way we can live forever. That's the only thing that will facilitate life. Not because God arbitrarily says you must be perfect to live forever. That's just the way
0: it is. I think what you mean by this is God built life to operate in this way. And only in harmony with his design can life continue to exist. And if you step out of, out of harmony with that, there is no life.
5: And based on his character, based on who he is, based on the reality of God, that is the only way he could design it.
0: That's the only way he could design it, absolutely, yes.
5: As well as it's something that we in and of ourselves cannot force to achieve, that it's only achieved by actually giving up of yourself and saying, God, come in and live through me. And in that relationship, when we stop fighting and attempting to do it ourselves, then he's able to work his wonder and be able to make it
0: possible. So where, I agree with you completely, so where is our heavenly high priest ministering?
5: In our hearts, draw us into that one.
0: Yes, that's where he's ministering, here. who? When, when we read things about the, the high priest is pleading in our behalf in heaven, mm-hmm. who do you think he's pleading to? Yes. You bet he's pleading to you and me. Do you think the Father needs to convince him? Wait. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his but gave him up. How will he not also with him give us all things? God was in the Son reconciling the world to himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Scripture is very clear. God did not need to be convinced to reach out and save mankind. All right. All right. He's not pleading to God to save us. But we also read in Zechariah chapter 3 that as a representation of the human race, the high priest, uh, Satan is there to accuse him. There's an accuser. And there's a someone there defending, not defending to God, right. <laughs> but Satan accuses, have you ever had the experience of blowing it? Am I the only one? Yes. yes, I am, Russell. Thank you. Thank you, Russell. Okay? And then after you've blown it, have you ever had that experience where you, I don't want to say it's a voice, but the, the thoughts of your mistake begin to hit upon your heart and you begin to feel low and you begin to feel worthless and you begin to feel unworthy and you begin to feel that you're, it's useless, your cause is useless. Why try? That's the devil. Yeah. Arguing your sins and the recounting of your sins begin flashing before your mind. This is Zechariah 3. The devil is recounting your sins for the purpose of discouraging you so you turn away from Christ. And at that time, Christ, your heavenly high priest, is pleading with you to not give up. Mm -hmm. Don't give up on me. I can save you. I can heal you. I can restore you. I can cleanse you. Don't give up on me. Trust me. I know you blew it. That's okay. The treatment plan isn't done yet. When I'm done, you won't blow it anymore. Mm. Let me finish. Don't give up. Think about a patient in a hospital who's infected with some disease of some kind, and they've started the treatment plan, but in the middle of the treatment plan, there's more symptoms. They have higher fever. They cough up some more productive stuff. And somebody's there saying, look, you're getting worse. Why, why are you taking this treatment? You, you, we're wasting our money on you. Don't you know there's some children that could, if we weren't spending so much money on saving you, we could spend, save, spend that money on some kids over here. You're, you're, just, you're just wasting the system. The doctor might say, hey, no, no, don't give up. The treatment hasn't had its time to, to work yet. Be patient. Let continue to work with me. You're going to get well. This is where Christ is pleading to you and me. Any conception that he's pleading to the Father to be gracious, to be forgiven. Father, my blood, my blood, please don't, don't crush them now. It's a distortion. It's a lie. Yes.
5: If you read about the sanctuary with the thought in your mind that that God is ministering to your own mind and then you think about the bread and you think about the light and you think about the incense and all that ministration of the high priest going around trying to, you know, to make things happen. It's just really neat to think about all that activity.
0: And the high priest doing it.
5: And and all that activity for me, you know, where God is trying to illuminate my mind, He's trying to feed me, He's trying to enlighten things, He's trying to diffuse His beautiful character through my mind and illuminate things. You know, it's just a neat thing. Uh, a neat
0: thought. Yeah, and you see, there's certain things. We, I'm, I'm going to move on because we're only in Monday. I told you we got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday still to go. But I just want to say on this on this part that if you look at the, the the symbolism, that little structure there. Yes, there were certain things only the high priest did. There were certain things the daily priests were doing, and that lets us know that in this process of bringing a healing remedy, of redeeming souls, of bringing a message that sets minds free, you and I have a role to play. Remember, Paul is my vessel. My vessel, who will, who will carry, you know, the, the priest would carry the blood in vessels, various places. Paul was the vessel, okay, that would carry the truth to minds, and they partook the truth as Paul brought it. Minds were set free. You and I are to be vessels of the Lord. We are to be priests of the Lord, taking the message that sets minds free. But there are certain things the high priest did. One of those things, remember, he would twice a day trim the wicks on the candle, no, you're not. You're a light of the world. The Holy Spirit, Christ works in our minds to trim us to, so that we burn brighter for him, that we give off a greater light. Anyway, let's move on. to. I get, there's, um, there's a couple of uh, other elements to uh, this day's lesson and some Bible references here that we're going to skip over, but they're in the notes for Monday. Tuesday's lesson talks about the morning and evening sacrifice and the, and the purpose of the sacrifice. Were people saved by the blood of animal sacrifices? No. What was symbolized by the shedding of blood?
2: Yes, the death of Christ.
0: The lesson says, by faith, their faith was to grasp the promises of a Savior to come, the true Lamb of God, who would spill His blood for the sins of the whole world. And, I, and that's nice language. What's it mean? Always ask. What's it mean? What's it mean? What is being cleansed by the blood? I'm just going to jump to it. Hebrews 10. 13 and 14 in verse 22, out of Hebrews. It says, The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctified them so they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from accidentally to death so that we may serve a living God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. What is being cleansed? It's our hearts and minds. The reality, we are being cleansed, not a building in heaven, not a not an inanimate object in heaven.
2: But also, wasn't the shedding of blood by the person who made the, who did something like the sin offering, when they personally took their own little lamb, you know, and killed it themselves, watching the life drain out of it and so on, wasn't it to, illustrate to them what was happening to them being separate from God?
0: I think it was to do that and also to bring a gut-wrenching revulsion to sin. How would you like to have to take your puppy or your kitty and look in its eyes and cut its throat? Would you like that? No. Because of a sin that you committed. It will either soften you or it will harden you. It will do one of the two. And that's exactly what the truth does. The truth will either soften you or like in Pharaoh's case, Pardon you, depending on your response to the truth. Wednesday's lesson, second paragraph, it says, Above the sacred ark, which contained God's holy law and enshrined the mercy seat, dwelt the very presence of God in the Shekinah glory. There, mercy and truth were met together. Righteousness and peace kissed each other. There, from the altar of incense, the holy place, the smoke ascended, representing the prayers of God's people, mingled with the merit and intercession of Christ. thoughts? Does that does that very clear to everyone? You understand exactly what that means? Black speech. Black speech, dark speech. Is I say does that is that very clear to everyone? You see I I, I tell you this this type of language gets translated from the illustration into a big reality and we see Christ in heaven standing above an altar throwing some incense. We pray. It comes to the altar in heaven. Christ throws some incense in. Really, he's throwing little blood or little merits in and whoop! off our prayers now go to the Father. Question. When does the merits of Christ get added to our prayers? Well, if you don't say, in Jesus' name, amen, no merits are added. <laughs> you put that on, then Jesus throws his merits in. Whoop, off to the Father the prayers go. Is that what's being described here? Yes.
1: You know what is so difficult for Adventists, I think, is that Ellen White speaks, like the Scriptures do in some places, both ways. And when you quote here, the person who wrote this quarterly also can go back and find in the early writings of Ellen White where she was speaking from where she was to... And uh, you know, you can quote Ellen White both ways. Just like you
0: That's a whole nother topic that we won't go into today. If
1: don't understand that, you should stand up here and ah. quote her, and and this lady has a quote that says the opposite.
0: Yeah, and that's why that's why in our position and in, in in our class we always said we don't want to take a little here and take a little there. We want to take them all. And we've taken from time to time in this class some of those very dark speech quotes and we've gone through point by point and unpack them to see what they mean in the light of the greater landscape of inspiration. And there's no problem with doing that. So uh, we, we don't, we don't want to leave anything out. So if you have some quote that you think would, would take us a different direction, well, let's bring it up and we'll look at it. But we've never found anything that was inconsistent from what we're, we're going with. We can always unpack it and show the greater landscape you know, of Scripture. I'm not
1: worried about you. I am about <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel so much better now. Thank you. So so the question we have it we have something symbolically represented. Our prayers go up, the incense is offered, representing the merits of Christ that are mingled with our prayers. Question is legitimate. When does the merits of Christ get mingled with our prayers? When it's in our hearts. When it's in our hearts, guys, where what's the symbol representing? What's the whole sanctuary representing? What? We are a temple. So in order for the merits of Christ to be in the heart, Christ has to be in the heart. If in order for the merits of Christ to be in our prayers, then our hearts have to have the merits of Christ in them. Amen. It gets mixed in us. He is putting his merits, his character, merits, by the way, means traits of character, gets placed in our hearts. So Zara age is 668. But to pray in Christ's name means much. It means that we are to accept his character, manifest his spirit, and work his works. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Accept his character, manifest his spirit, and work his works. In other words, when we have no longer I that live, but Christ lives in, and we pray, Christ is ministering at the golden altar of your heart, mixing his merits with your desires, making them acceptable for the Lord. Why? Because our hearts change. We stop praying so much about me. Lord, I really want that car, please. And we start praying, Lord, how can I represent you? How can I help you finish your work? Lord, enable us to do what you would have us do to lighten the world. Lord, these trinkets mean nothing. What means something is people. Help us reach out. Help us take a message to the world. Help open the avenues. Sometimes, I pray, and remove the obstructions. Haven't you ever prayed that prayer? Remove the obstacles. You know, you ever heard, uh, you know, um, you know we've, been in, we've been in the way for 30 years. It's like time to get out of the way, okay? <laughs> Let's move on.
2: I think there is a prayer for yourself that's appropriate, and that is, Lord, show me who I really am.
0: Oh, of course. Give me
2: the courage to face what you show me and to turn to you, to give it to you for solution. When you pray that prayer... You should be careful because he really will.
0: (laughs) No, that's exactly right. No, exactly. These are give me wisdom. We pray for wisdom. James, pray for wisdom. Pray for transformation. Pray for renewal. Pray for enabling. Pray for vision. When the vision fails, when there is no vision, the people fail. Okay. So yeah, listen to this quote. See what you think. Intercession, intercession, Uh, intercession. This is out of Upward Look, page twenty. God's people, rescued from the fire by Jesus Christ, have a sense of their sin, feel humbled and ashamed. They uh, God sees and recognizes their repentance and notes their sorrow for sin, which they cannot remove or cancel themselves. But as they pray, their prayers are heard, and this is the reason that Satan stands to resist Christ. Why is Satan resisting Christ? Because our prayers are being heard. Listen to this: because he, because Christ hears their prayers. Christ makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He regenerates the sinner and pardon is written off against their name. What's his intercession? I'll read it again. Regeneration. Christ makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He regenerates the sinner. What's the will of God? To regenerate the sinner. Be that we be healed. Notice the intercession according to the will of God. He's not interceding with God. As is... Paganly presented. He's doing the will of God, interceding with us to regenerate us. I love that quote. Thursday's lesson. Boy, we're really moving now. We're flying now, aren't we? Like, put on your seatbelt. Thursday's lesson. First paragraph. A substantial part of the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers center on the sanctuary service, its construction, its services, the sacrifices and offerings. Presented there, and the ministration of the priests. It was a very sacred and holy place. After all, it was not only the place where God Himself dwelt, it was the place where Israel came to be forgiven and cleansed of sin. It was the place where Israel learned and experienced the gospel. Thoughts about that paragraph? How do you hear it? How do you break it down? How do you reason through it? True or false? True or false in that paragraph? Truth or or falsehood or distortion? Or misunderstanding? What's misunderstood in the paragraph, if there is anything?
2: The sanctuary is the only place that we can worship and get forgiveness. It does away with just communicating with God personally.
0: Okay, she said it's distorted to say the sanctuary is the only place where we can uh, uh, worship with God and get forgiveness. It does away with the personal communion with God. Yes. Uh, does that
4: yes? say we, or does that say the children of Israel?
0: The children of Israel.
4: Okay, so the children of Israel probably couldn't even read. They had no books, and so what else did? How else could God teach them but by uh, showing them?
0: Okay, so is it true?
4: But that's not the same of today.
0: Is it true? Here's the, here's the sentence. It was the place where Israel came to be forgiven and cleansed of sin. True or false? True. Yeah. To, no. To, to it, it was a place
3: where their minds came to understand and be forgiven.
0: It certainly, it certainly was a place where they, they could learn about it. That's true. What, what could, what, how about this? It was the place where they came to be forgiven of God? It was the place they came to act out the illustration of God's forgiveness?
5: The better sentence is where Israel learned and experienced the gospel from... Uh,
0: yeah, learned and experienced the gospel, sure. Yes. Yes.
5: But it was to illustrate, like your DNA picture, it was to illustrate it's where they experienced had demonstration.
0: If they had to come here in order to experience forgiveness, does that mean that no Jew was experiencing forgiveness during the 70 years of captivity? No. <laughs> think it through or could they still experience forgiveness of sin and pardon and reconciliation with god during the seven years of captivity so it wasn't the place they came to experience forgiveness it was the plain place they came to symbolically act out their experience of being forgiven and symbolically acting out the teaching tool did um everyone during that time who was forgiven of god have to come and offer sacrifices at the sanctuary do we have any other examples in Scripture of people who were forgiven and reconciled to God who never went to the sanctuary?
1: Thief on the
0: cross. Thief on the cross, we don't know. He might have gone to the sanctuary through his life, but he didn't at the end. Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar would be a good example. Naaman. Amen. Naaman would be a good example.
4: Were they led out of Egypt?
0: Naaman and Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, were they led no. out of Egypt? No, no.
4: Okay. To me... <sighs> This right here, the temple was speaking to the children of Israel where they were that day, under bondage for 120 years, and completely, absolutely, uh, everything twisted and turned and everything. So God said, I'm here. I'm in this temple. I'm speaking to Moses, and other, and he spoke to other priests. And I'm here, and I'm going to show you what I'm going to do in the future. And I'm going to show you how I, how that I am going to bring you and take you home with me in heaven.
0: I, I, I'm not disagreeing with any of the object lessons and teaching elements there. The question was,
4: here is talking only about the children. The
0: question is, did the children of Israel could they only experience forgiveness at the temple? No, no, no. That's the question. Yes.
5: But in your hearts and minds, did they need that to start to start getting
0: Sure. At all? Absolutely. So. I think it was that that's the point, but it was only needed because of their condition. And God met them there. And yes, it was a teaching tool and a lesson, but it wasn't a requirement for salvation. Yes.
5: I just want to say that this paragraph describes an external cleansing rather than an internal cleansing. We need the cleansing
2: on the inside, not the outside.
0: Well, and of course, Hebrews, what we just read out of Hebrews, that the blood of animals and goats didn't cleanse anything. See, coming to the temple with your animal didn't cleanse them from sin. It only symbolically acted out, the cleansing from sin. That's why they had to do the rounds over and over and over, because it didn't actually transform anything. It was a symbolic teaching or representation of what was to be happening in the heart through Christ working in the actual person. Yes?
3: While we're on the temple, what did it mean for them to pray towards the temple? When did they start moving away from praying towards the temple, and why?
0: You know, that's a good question. I hadn't thought about that. Any, anybody have any insights on that?
3: Because to them, that's where God was.
0: She says, to them, that's where God was. That's why they prayed that way. Yes?
3: In Deuteronomy, they are commanded that if, if it was too far to go, you know, they could convert their offerings into money and then buy issues and then celebrate. And that was a way of, of praying toward where God was or where God is, et cetera. So it, it was praying toward God.
0: Okay, so praying toward God, reaching the heart toward God. Yes.
3: Job offered
2: sacrifices so that his children would be forgiven mm. on behalf of his children so that they, in case they sinned, he offered
0: sacrifice. Okay. And what does it mean that Job did that? Does it mean that God needed that? Does it mean that it actually resulted in forgiveness of their, his kids? Does it mean that, um, that, uh, that we could do that for our kids today? It only meant that Job was concerned for the health and welfare of his kids. He
2: must not have understood
0: Job, Job clearly didn't understand everything because what did he pray? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we have a clear indication in Job that the Lord didn't take anything away. It was Satan's action taking everything away.
2: Well, he took his protection away.
0: He removed his hand of protection, but but he didn't take anything away from Job. Satan was the destroyer, not God. That's
2: true, but God's protection is something worth having that he
0: removed.
5: (laughs) Uh, That was Satan's accusation. That doesn't necessarily mean it was accurate.
0: Mm
5: -hmm. Um, You know... Generally speaking, if we hear something that's, you know, Satan says this, why are we believing this particular one? Satan's the father of lies. I don't think Job had a special hedge of protection. I think that was Satan's accusation
2: to God.
0: Now, whether that was a hedge of protection or not, we don't know, but there was freedom exercised there on Satan's part after that, so, yeah.
1: The priest could have gone into the tent, killed the lamb, and still not be forgiven
0: fact, the priest did kill the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Christ said, Father, forgive them. They know know not what they do. So God, in his heart, extends forgiveness. He is forgiving toward them, but they still were not forgiven because they never opened their heart to receive it. So you're right. Yeah, you can kill the Lamb and not be forgiven.
3: All of this, whether we are praying or worshiping the temple or whatever, is things that we need to experience God. And whether we are praying toward Jerusalem or raising our hands or, or kneeling, bowing our knees, you know, this is all things that we need to experience God. Right, right. You know.
0: And so, I, I agree with you completely, and I think these are all helpful tools.
3: If I'm in North America and I'm <laughs> raising my hands to God, and some guy's in Australia are raising his hands to God, we're not praying in opposite directions. <laughs>
0: I like that and and the people on the shuttle they're not closer to God than we are (laughs) (laughs) Um, so what would you say are the core take home teaching points of the sanctuary God is with us. God wants to heal us. us.
2: us. We're the sanctuary.
0: We're the sanctuary. Christ works where? In our hearts. In our hearts. Yeah. And now, <clears throat> what would you say is if somebody is studying the sanctuary and they said to you, "Do you have any key points that would help me understand all this symbolic stuff?" What would you say? The you know how in. Uh, uh, in, in um, decryption they have a, a, k- a code key that decrypts the, the message what would you say the code key that decrypts the sanctuary messages? is? Christ. 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 Exactly. It's, and if you want a reference for that Christ Object Lessons page 133 says the gospel is the key that unlocks the mysteries of the sanctuary. Okay with the Jewish economy the gospel is the key and, and, and when you get that in mind you'll get your orientation right. You ever look through the binoculars from the right end? And then you turn the binoculars around and look through them from the wrong end? Okay? When you look at the sanctuary from the wrong end, things become much more difficult to understand and see. And the wrong end is this way. We study the sanctuary from the Old Testament Scriptures, we build a theology based on understanding the Old Testament Scriptures, and then we plug Christ into that. The right end is we study Jesus Christ and what he achieved here on earth. And we understand what he taught and what he achieved. Then we go back, the gospel is the key And we reevaluate the teaching of the sanctuary through the lens of Jesus Christ. He's the lens that we see truth through. And then things come into focus. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you did send Jesus Christ for multiple reasons included amongst them is to help us see you. To be the lens through which we can understand the truth of your, your kingdom. To know the truth of your character. Uh, send your Holy Spirit now to take all that Christ has achieved the perfection of of character that he worked out uh, rebuild our our hearts and minds to be like you. Write your law on the on the tablets of our heart. May we love you and love others more than we love ourselves and may you enable us and empower us to have discernment and wisdom to 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 filter out the errors and hold to that which is true and and enable us to tell others, Lord, we want this message to go around the world. We want people to break free. And we want the the world to be lightened so that you can come and we can be out of this world of sin. We pray in your holy name. Amen.